Welcome to our sermon podcast here at City of Light Anglican Church. We are a new church in Aurora, Illinois, finding a new day in Jesus. We want to see the light of Jesus rise and shine in our hearts, in our homes, and in our neighborhoods. Thanks for joining us for today's message. A reading from the book of James. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth, and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I have the privilege of being able to talk with you this morning about prayer. Uh, as we continue our series on Devoted. Um, and just to give our uh, imaginations a little framework, I, I'm, we're, we're, I'm hoping maybe we can get, there's a picture that I wanted to show you guys while we were getting settled um, into this, because I think it will give us a, a, a visual framework for what we're looking for. So I mean, does, does anybody recognize this monument? Does anybody know what this monument is? Anybody? A couple people? Patrick, what is it? The Four Corners, yeah, okay, so check in with your neighbor if you know what four states meet here at the Four Corners. Go ahead and check in, check in with your neighbor. Anybody think you got it? Does anybody know? Anybody want, yeah, okay, this guy right here. Nice, yeah. For those of you who didn't hear that, it's Arizona, Colorado, New Mexico, and Utah. I had to look at my notes because I keep forgetting this. Um, so I don't, I don't know if you, any of you have ever stood in a place, um, maybe some of you have been here, I don't know, or, or have stood in a place like this. Thanks, Rach. Um, maybe you stood in a place like this. I remember when I was uh, in um, middle school, I had an opportunity to go with my church to Mexico and as we were crossing the border, I remember having the opportunity to stand with one foot in each country. Maybe you've had something, an opportunity to do that. Or, um, you know, when we're driving to Ohio and we're zooming on the highway, there's that split second where we're like in two different time zones in the van. Okay. Um, I, I just want us, as we go into this, I want us to be thinking about this because I think prayer is a lot like this. Prayer is an interaction with God during which we stand in two places 
at once. One foot grounded here on earth and one foot in heaven. Because prayer is a place where God meets us and so it is a place where heaven meets earth. Uh, This series that we're in, Devoted, um, is anchored in the, the text of Acts 2.42. Um, and there we, we read, uh, and it says they, but what we're talking about here, what Luke is talking about is the believers in the newly established church. Um, he tells us that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, which is the study of Scripture. We'll talk about that soon. To fellowship, we'll talk about that as well to the breaking of bread, it's a reference to communion, and to prayer, what we're talking about this morning. And because they devoted themselves to this, we find that everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. So what we see here in in Acts is that prayer is something that is absolutely foundational to the building, to the construction, the formation of the church. It is central to the picture of what it means, um, what it looks like to be devoted to Christ. It is essential to our spiritual transformation. Now, going into this, we have to be aware that, that prayer, the word prayer is, is one of those words in our culture that, that is so commonly used, it's so commonly referenced, and sometimes it loses meaning, right? Like, well, I, I think when somebody sneezes and we, we respond with our typical English response of God bless you, I, I hope that we can recognize the difference between the God bless you of that, which is kind of just this thing that we say without much thought and probably without much meaning, Between that moment and when at the end of a service, Father Trevor blesses us in the name of the Lord. He tells us, God bless you. We can hear the difference. And my hope this morning is that we can begin thinking about prayer over these next few weeks in a different way so that prayer isn't just this response of like, oh, I'm praying for you, which really means that maybe I'll think about about you and your problem, right? We, we use it in this very callous, very casual way um, to say, like, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling this moment that you're bringing this to my attention. I feel a little bit of sympathy for you, but we don't really do much more than that, right? I'll, I'll keep you in my prayers. There, there's something really profound at stake, and it's what we saw described in Acts, and it's what we heard James writing about in his letter to the early church in Jerusalem. So a, a couple of things that I want to define for us as we go into our study of James this morning. Um, first of all, the, the word pray is actually, literally means to ask or to request, or in, in another way, to exchange words or emotions. Uh, theologically, we're thinking about this then as an interaction with God himself, an interaction in which we exchange our wishes, and, and I, I mean that in the terms of like our hopes and our dreams, our desires. We exchange our human desires with God's wishes or God's desires. 
Uh, it, it also comes from the Latin word invocation, um, to invoke. Invocate means to put voice to, to call upon, especially for help. Um, and what we're doing when we pray is we are, we are creating identities. We are naming God as our Father, as our provider, as our caretaker, naming Jesus as our Savior, naming Holy Spirit as our companion, as our helper. And in doing so, we are identifying ourselves as the child of God, as the brother of Jesus, as the Spirit-filled believer, and we are identifying ourselves as one both ready to and entitled to receive the help that we're asking for. Now, there's a, a little bit of a danger that comes from thinking of it like this because we can see God as sort of a cosmic vending machine. And maybe, maybe we run through these times where we're like, ah, prayer, it seems kind of tired and boring, right? Because sometimes we, we can go to it just like, God's just this divine person. We, we just go to him when we need something or when we're feeling overwhelmed. Prayer is so much bigger than this. Prayer is so much bigger than me just going to the divine being and, and asking to have my needs or my desires gratified. In fact, um, one theologian described it like this, that, that prayer is ultimately participation in or participation with the triune God. It, this is not a, a conversation in which I'm, I'm here and God's like over there and I'm, I'm like talking to him so much as I am enfolded in him. Uh, here's what uh, Martha Morkaish explains. She says, prayer is a conscious articulation of our relationship with God who is at once behind and beneath and beside and before us beckoning us to abundant life. In prayer, we enter into the holy communion of God's own self. We are then surrounded, suffused. The word suffused means like soaked in by the mystery of the holy trinity. God is source, goal, and companion in prayer. True prayer is thus participation in God. There's a lot, of, a lot of big words, very very abstract concepts. Basically, what she's getting at here is there's something really profound that's happening. When we pray, we're not just talking to God. We are like in God. God is in us. There's like, it's this full, complete saturation. And we are invited to be aware of this. And, and it's profound because God, God is the one who gives us the, the, the words and the breath and the creativity to ask and, and to present our burdens to him. He, he is also the one to whom we are praying. And at the same time, he is our companion right next to us, holding us, urging us as we pray. And if we can recognize this, we can begin to understand that, that, prayer, that prayer is this truly intimate and identifying reality. In that moment... In that moment that we are suffused or saturated with God, we become more like we were meant to be and someday will be. And this is not just a cast-off phrase. So prayer is something that, that James is telling us we need to be aware of is something that happens both individually and corporately. Um, and that it is both spontaneous 
and supported. Uh, so if you, if you don't know, James was a pastor. Um, he was one who was regarded as, as highly devoted. Uh, he was the brother, the biological half-brother. He was the brother of Jesus. Um, but he also became the pastor of the first church in Jerusalem, uh, this large church in Jerusalem. And, and it was a church that was facing famine and poverty and persecution, like, like severe persecution to the point that James himself was ultimately murdered in like this political plot, it seems. That's what historians seem to think. Um, and so leading up to this, in this letter that James is writing to his church, he, he's explaining many things about the Christian life, but at the end, the culmination of it, here in chapter 5, James is explaining why we must participate in this practice of prayer. Because our very spiritual lives depend on it. Um, the theme of the book is that we ought to be patient in suffering. And that we need to live in such a way that the fractured and broken people of the world who are seeking wholeness can find it through encountering Jesus Christ in his church. And this is why it is so important for us to live out our lives, our devoted faith, and why prayer is such an integral part of that. So chapter 5, as I said, is the, is the sort of culmination of this letter. And, and it, what's really cool about it is James begins his letter by talking about all the bad ways that we can use speaking to, to harm and manipulate and oppress. And here at the end, he's giving us a picture of the best ways to use our voices. So the passage begins, if, if, if we're in trouble or if we're happy, Let's pray, right? Let, let, let's, let's pray. Let's ask God, but let's sing songs of praise. Um, and so we are invited, right? The prayer is both the right and the calling of all believers. Sometimes we're the ones who are calling out for help. And sometimes we are the ones who need to provide it. Because when we think about how does God provide the help that people are asking for, it's not always through some intangible miraculous. Sometimes it's through us. Most often it's through us. And we don't like asking for help very often. When we think about this dynamic, right, we enjoy being the ones, to, the, the hero of the story who gets to provide the help. But we don't always like being the ones who have to ask for it. It feels uncomfortable to us. Um, in my uh, English department, when I um, am working with my staff, uh, I've, I've been asking them to reflect at the end of each week by having a conversation with a peer, and I've given them five questions to be thinking about, and one of them is to identify how they have received help that week. I, I don't ask them to, to think about how they provided help. I ask them to think, how did you receive help? How did you ask for help? Or how did somebody offer help and you receive it? Because I want to remind us of our interdependence, to break us of our obsession on independence and focus on our interdependence. And that is a gift that God gives us in his church. We are interdependent. That next verse tells us, right, if we're sick, if we're suffering, 
call on the elders. Now, a couple of things I want to explain here is that, that first of all, the, the, the word that James is using for sickness, it does include physical illness, like, like a, a, a virus-caused illness, but he's really talking about any ailment of the human condition. Um, this could be something where we are receiving some sort of uh, oppressive force on us, where some environmental outside of us thing is causing that. It, it could also be when we are suffering from the consequences of our own mistakes, our own sins. In whatever situation, whatever ailment, whatever dysfunction we find ourselves, James encourages us to call out for prayer from others. Now here he mentions specifically the elders, and that just means the, the pastors or a spiritual leader, or somebody who's spiritually mature. But, but as we here believe, we, we know that, that really in the church we have a priesthood of all believers, and that, that this is really an invitation for, for anybody who feels more spiritually secure than the other person in that moment. It, it's sort of like when the person's out in the ocean drowning, whoever's in the boat can throw out the life preserver. You don't have to be an ordained minister to pray for somebody. James also references oil here. And, and that may seem kind of strange. Um, there, there is a practical explanation for it um, in the ancient world. Uh, and maybe you've heard this before. That oil was often used as a carrier for medicines. Uh, those of you who are into essential oils nowadays, you, you, you know how this works, right? Um, you, you have to mix it with a carrier oil, and so you would use that as a way to soothe the wound, and it would promote healing. Um, one of the things I love about that, then, is that it, it, it demands proximity. If we're going to put oil on somebody that we're praying for, we have to be close to that person, physically close. This is one of the reasons why it's so much better for us to be able to gather in person and why virtual church, you know, digital church doesn't work as well because we missed out on the opportunity for our bodies to be present to one another. And then there's also this really beautiful symbol that's built into this. Um, in ancient Israel, oil was often used as a way to mark, to consecrate, which just means to mark something as special or as honorable. This is really beautiful because in our culture, we often are offended by weakness. We avoid weakness, right? In, in a very naturalistic view, we devalue, right? It's a sort of Darwinian frame. We're like, we leave the sick behind, but Jesus says, no, love the sick. Honor them. Mark them as special with oil. James tells us that the prayer that is offered in faith can make the sick person well. Um, a couple of things I want to mention there is that, first of all, prayer is never a replacement for proper medical care or uh, of body or mind. Um, th this isn't an invitation to cast off proper medical treatment, but it, it absolutely should be, could even be like a first a first um, action, right? But it should absolutely go along with that. Um, this is a verse that can be really confusing to some people, that the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. Um, sometimes we might think that, that you have to, that if you're not getting healing, that maybe it's because you don't have enough faith. So I just want to be really clear about this, that, 
There is no indication here that the effect has to be equal to the amount of faith. You can have a mustard seed of faith and still receive a profound healing. Unfortunately, some of us have the lived experience that sometimes you can have what feels like a mountain of faith, and we might not see the healing. There is a promise here that the sick person will be made well. The Lord will raise them up. The language of that phrase suggests that it could ha- it might happen now that healing might happen in the moment or shortly after the prayer but it might also mean that we have to wait that we have to persist until the ultimate resurrection when the lord raises us up in our redeemed bodies in new creation and so uh, like we read about in luke that that we might come with great persistence And sometimes we still have to wait. And and I want to emphasize this because I know that there are some people in our church family, there are some people in our church community who pray earnestly and pray with great faith. And and sometimes the faith, maybe the person who's making the prayers or who is in need, maybe their faith is feeling really small. And so it's the faith of the people praying with them that matters. And sometimes we don't see the response the way that we expect. God always answers our prayers. It doesn't always look the way that we want it to or the way that we hope it to or the way that we expect. But James says, persist, hold fast while we're waiting. And let's keep in mind that it is up to those of us who are feeling like our faith is a little more stable, that we are the ones who need to help carry the burden of our family, our family members who are suffering the most. The final thing I want to talk about here is this relationship that James makes between confessing sins and healing. Because it it could seem kind of strange. I mean, there there are definitely some traditions that create a a, a power dynamic with confession of sins. And there are some traditions that create a culture of shame around sinful behaviors. And there are some traditions that just kind of ignore things that the Bible calls sin and just wants to make everybody feel better. But, but we need to understand there is a connection between this process of confession and sin um, and healing. So what we, what we begin to see is that James is telling us, right? He tells us that um, the, uh, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Here's the the secret to understanding this passage. That's all all of us can be made righteous in any moment when we confess our sins to Christ. When we surrender ourselves to the lordship of Christ, any one of us can take Christ's righteousness upon ourselves. And so this becomes a cyclical process of recognizing our own sin, of confessing our sin, reminding ourselves of our own brokenness so that we can extend more grace to our brothers and sisters. Um, We've been reading uh, 
and referencing the, a, a book by Dietrich Bonhoeffer called Life Together. And in that book, Bonhoeffer talks about how sin causes separation. It causes an individual to withdraw from a community because of the shame and the darkness. This is why James is saying confession is so important because to confess to one another means that we have to be brought back in. And this is not about creating a hierarchy or an in and an out. This is about all of us being reminded of our own sinfulness, our own brokenness, and finding forgiveness together as we extend forgiveness to each other. And this is where spiritual healing begins. And this is sometimes where physical healing begins as well. Not all physical ailments are caused by our own sin. Some are. But a lot of our physical ailments are just part of being part of this sin-stained nature. And so all the more reason why we must confess to one another. We must engage with one another in these prayers. Because James, in the context, if you look at the end, he's really talking about here both physical and spiritual sickness. That's why the passage ends. When we pray, we draw a brother back in. When we can draw a sister back in, and restore their faith. Restore them to the communion. Um, I wanted to close with just a couple of um, maybe tips about how to bring prayer into our lives a little bit more. Um, so there, there are some traditions that, that get a little concerned about the idea of what I, what I would call a, a supported prayer. Um, some might call it a scripted prayer. And they, they value spontaneous prayer. That, that a prayer really only counts if you're making it up on the spot. Um, in our tradition, we like to draw prayers from this book, the Book of Common Prayer. Um, and actually, I've, I've found it to be incredibly helpful uh, as I have found moments in my life where I just don't have the strength to create prayers. Where I don't have the, the mental wherewithal to construct sentences. And so to find when somebody in a moment of strength or full surrender has penned, has created these beautifully poetic, well-balanced prayers that shape our beliefs, uh, it can be a really incredible tool um, to help us. Uh, th this book is, is full of tools um, like daily prayers and the collects, uh, the prayers of the people, which we'll use here in a little bit. Um, and so I just, we, we actually have these at the, at the table in the back. If you don't have a copy um, and you're interested in trying it out, I, I would really encourage you, this can really inform and enrich your prayer life. Um, other ways that we can have our prayer lives enriched is, is by just recognizing um, some of the patterns that we can use. Maybe some of you are familiar with a pattern called PRAY. It's kind of a nice little acronym. P-R-A-Y. We begin prayer by pausing in silence and stillness. So prayer is not always us speaking. Prayer can be us listening, preparing our thoughts, hearing from God. Um, R means to rejoice or reflect. So you can rejoice with a passage of Scripture like a psalm, or you can reflect on a passage from Scripture like the gospel that we read and just in our imagination what is it like to approach God, for example, as this widow and pounding on that door? A, we can ask God for help for us and for others. 
and why we can yield to God's will in our lives. P-R-A-Y. Pray, pause, rejoice and reflect, ask and yield. Um, Pastor Rich Viotis, uh, in uh, his book, um, the, oh, I'm going to blink, what is the name of that, the red book? The Deeply Formed Life, thanks. We have, that's back, I can see it from here, I just can't read the title. Um, I just blinked on it. <clears throat> he talks about silence being a really important uh, way to enter into prayer. Uh, I think we often, you know, think of prayer as we have to do all the work. We have to conjure the words. We have to find the strength. And he reminds us, no, that, that, that sometimes prayer is just focusing our attention upon God. Um, it's different from mindfulness, which is, a, you know, a big thing in, in culture right now. He says here that, that silent prayer is surrender of our words to be present with the word. And this goes back to that idea of participating in uh, worship. Speaking of participation, another way, and this will be the final point that I make, um, is we can pray with our bodies. Um, Pastor Aaron Damiani, in, in his book, which is also back there, it's my last commercial for, for the books that we have back there. I just want you to know, like we, we want you to feel well-equipped for all this, this being devoted here. Um, but in his new book, uh, Earth Filled with Heaven, he talks about four ways that we can pray with our bodies. Um, he talks about standing prayer, which we do often here, um, either with our arms raised or our palms up. He talks about kneeling prayer, which we'll do in just a moment during the confession. Bowing prayer, which you'll sometimes see us do and, and some people will do before Eucharist or as we approach the altar. Um, and crossing, right, using the sign of the cross to mark us as Christ's own, to remind us of our baptism, to pray that, that Christ would lord over our thoughts and our emotions and our actions that we profess. Prayer is rich and deep and complex, and it is essential to spiritual formation in our lives. So I'd like to ask you to um, join with me in prayer. Um, I'm actually going to pull a couple of prayers from the Book of Common Prayer um, as we contemplate the generosity of our God who invites us to stand in his presence, one foot on earth and one foot in heaven. Would you bow your heads with me and pray? Holy Spirit, breath of God and fire of love, I cannot pray without your aid. Kindle in me the fire of your love and illumine me with your light that with steadfast will and holy thoughts I may approach the Father in spirit and in truth. O Lord our God, accept the fervent prayers of your people in the multitude of your mercies. Look with compassion upon us and all who turn to you for help. For you are gracious, O lover of souls. And to you we give glory, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, now and forever. Thanks for listening to this podcast from City of Light Anglican Church. We'd love to hear from you. You can find us online at cityoflightanglican.org. And now, may the light of Jesus scatter the darkness from before your path.